to have another set of ears and um, be able to, you know, with your permission, and in my case, with my permission, to be able to ask questions, and then uh, for that other person to actually take notes. Welcome to This Is Gonna Hurt, Widows Mentoring Widows. I'm Patty G. In February of 2015, I suddenly became a widow. I'm hoping this podcast helps other women navigate widowhood. In this episode, I will talk to my friend Marilyn. Ten years ago, she suddenly became a widow herself. As soon as she heard about the death of my husband Paul, she called me. She offered to go with me to any financial meetings I had regarding insurance, death benefits, and other financial matters. Again, I didn't know how much I needed someone to be at my side at these times. I talked to Marilyn last winter, and she began by reminding us how we first met over 20 years ago. We actually met um, when you and Paul were assigned to um, this area through the base. We were both military families. Right, right. And so we were your sponsors. That's right. Yeah. So that was quite many years ago. 1995 or 6, yeah. So we've kept in touch all these years and, you know, um, went to different functions, would see each other in the community, would do bike rides and watch our kids grow. And so we've known each other a long time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And now we find ourselves in this odd position of both having lost our husbands, our dear husbands, who were very good friends, best friends in many, many ways. Yes. When I came up with the idea of this podcast, it was because of you and women like you who um, stepped up and mentored me and came with great ideas to help me through the very hard time. And even still, for me, it's been two years. How long for you? It is, um, actually, it was nine years in February. Did not want to be part of this, quote, club. And I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Yes. And when Paul died, I, you know, it was just a shock. And I just felt very natural to reach out, as, as I've done to other women, too. Well, what I liked is a lot of people reach out and I don't mean this as a criticism, but they'll call and say, let me know what I can do. And when you're in the throes of that, you can't think of what they can do. But when you called, mm-hmm. you had specific things. The first thing was, when you need to meet these people about the finances, give me a call and I'll come with you. And I wouldn't even have thought to ask that. And it was so important because I, I was in such a fog. So I've always wanted to thank you for that. Oh, you're most welcome. I was glad to do that. I actually had uh, a friend. She wasn't really close. Actually walked along with me and went to meetings with me. And so I just, you know, thought of how helpful that was. And I think given that um, both our husbands kind of died suddenly. Um, and so there was no preparation, and you never expect that to happen. Um, they were, in my mind, uh, young in their life and looking forward to retirement and so forth. But uh, to 
have that happen suddenly and trying to figure out, okay, along with the tremendous grief and the pressure of, you know, what do I do now? You know, to have somebody, as it was in my case, and then it was very natural for me to actually reach out to you, not only because I'd experienced that support, but that you were also a good friend. And that to have another set of ears and um, be able to, you know, with your permission, and in my case, with my permission, to be able to ask questions and then uh, for that other person to actually take notes. Yes, you had that red binder. Yes. We would get home and I would open it up and be like, oh, I don't remember this. And I was so grateful. And you'd put down a little like to-do list for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and ask good questions when we were talking to the advisor. And I thought the advisor was very welcoming of you being there. If anyone would think that would be uncomfortable. Yes. It seemed yeah. very comfortable. Right. And again, unfortunately, the finances is, you know, even while you're, you know, just in tremendous shock, just having to deal with the finances because there are so many things to do. And depending on that, the person's um, where they worked, what kind of insurance they had, those type of things. And filling out paperwork and applications. It's just overwhelming. Having to have the death certificate. Yes. Sometimes they want the original and sometimes they want the, a copy and it doesn't make any sense. I remember that was one of the hardest phone calls was calling these financial people that Paul and I would joke about. You know, when something happens to me, you better call. And then when I actually had to dial that number, I, re- I was a very angry widow. I don't mm. know how you were, but... I found it frustrating, and I was angry that I had to make these calls. Mm -hmm. So you were such a calming influence because, I mean, I wasn't angry at the person I was dealing with. But just, you know, I wasn't excited about this money or anything Mm -hmm. like that. I would much rather that this had not happened and I had Paul back. So was that your experience as well? Yes, actually it was. Um, I was more, you know, just trying to not really – angry at the situation. That actually came later. It was just being totally shocked and like they say like deers in the headlight, you know, just what to do. And these decisions aren't, this is just your decision for the month. This is like for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And this is what you're going to have to do now for your children. And these are big decisions you're making so quickly after everything. Yeah. And, you know, that as... You know, just thinking about the finances, and I know, you know, people don't like to think about that because it's, you know, it's money and there's something maybe negative initially about that, but it is important as you think about, you know, planning for your future and your children. And in my case, of course, I was still working. I'm not sure how real effective I was, but I... My plan um, after my husband retired was that I would continue working, Mm -hmm. and so I continued with that plan, did a lot of intensive soul-searching, and very methodically decided when I would retire. Even to this day, thank my husband, Ron, of all the preparations he did 
while we were married uh, in preparing if he died first and we didn't know. We actually had those kind of conversations. If you die first, what what are your wishes? And we didn't have this written down. You know, it was a it was our, you know, conversation with each other. And so that in fact, though as simple and um as it was, those conversations, that information with my husband was very helpful because then I, I knew what he wanted, and I knew how to proceed, even though it was it was difficult. Yeah, and actually that, you know, my having experienced that is actually, I've implemented that approach with my children, updating my will and all those final papers and so forth that we don't ever like to talk about, but to actually have a meeting with my kids and say, you know, these are my wishes and who's going to be the trustee and why, and so that all the information's laid out in front and hopefully to prevent any hurt feelings or difficulty when, you know, that time does come. A question I get asked a lot is, what can you say? Can you think of things that people said to you that were helpful? I guess not so much. I don't remember like so much what they said. It's their presence. Even, you know, a a telephone call or cards. I mean, I know we're in the the technology era that, you know, people to send a card is unusual. And because then people can, you know, write a note. So the cards were really, in my case, were very helpful, as was just being there and even hugging. Now, I know that not everybody likes that kind of touching. You know, I am a hugger. So, and um, Ron was a hugger. So, you know, that to me was, you know, kind of helped with, um, I guess, the pain. And something that you continue to do, even though my husband died two years ago, is, you know, every couple months, maybe it's more frequently, you send me a text. Mm -hmm. And all it says is, I'm thinking of you. Mm -hmm. I hope you had a nice Easter. It's just nice to know that someone's thinking of you. I know you're not expecting me to write you three paragraphs back. You know, you're just letting me know you're thinking of me. And and so that is something I've been doing with friends Mm -hmm. who've lost their spouse. It's just... Every now and then, just say, just know I'm thinking of you. I think that's really important because whether we like it or not, uh, when the immediacy of the situation is over, the person either had the memorial service or a, a funeral, people do, they go back to their routine of, you know, going to work and whatever their routine includes. And you know, in some really crazy idea, you might think, you know, why doesn't the world just stop? See this, you know, I'm dealing with this tragedy, but people do, and they stop calling. The flood of cards stop. People no longer bring food if that's how they reached out to you. And so I think having people continue and not pity you or, you know, it's not what that, it's that, you know, you are remembered. 
my husband's grandmother uh, shared with me her husband died of a heart attack and when she was in her 50s. And so I just had no idea that was in my future. But she would always say that after her husband died, she never turned down an invitation. And I took that to heart. And there were times, because yeah. as you said, sometimes it's these people maybe you haven't seen in five years, and maybe that's the only time you're going to see them. But no matter how I felt, yeah. I would go to lunch or go to coffee or whatever. And I think that was a good choice. You agree? Yes, I do agree. However, I do know you need to allow yourself and give yourself permission to, if you have a meltdown day, then, you know, that's difficult times. And, you know, they will come at sometimes the most unexpected time. That's true. You're very right there. I was wondering if there was a specific time, like moment when you're like, okay, I can get through this, Uh, or if it just was mm -hmm. a matter of time healing. I think the time healing, I think, was important. And also, I'd have to make, and I'm a list maker anyway, so this was just really, you know, I continued making lists. And to be able to accomplish some big task in my mind, taking care of uh, selling or paying off two houses and some major financial decisions, buying a car. <laughs> I know some people may think that's kind of, you know, well, they would do that in a heartbeat. But if you've never done it and you've always done it, you know, with your spouse, you know, be able to have confidence that you're going to be making the right decisions. And that continues those kind of big decisions in my mind. How have you adapted to uh, living alone? Because I find even if I'm busy all day Mm -hmm. and people are, you know, life has gotten a little more normal. Those evenings, it's, I I can be busy all day, but going home to an empty house is still pretty difficult. Oh, yeah. I dealt with that particular issue in... I would walk around the stores or the malls or walk around the neighborhood for sometimes hours because you know, I didn't want to go home because it was empty. However, now I'm okay, even though it's been, well, nine plus years. There are still some times when I go, hmm, it's awfully quiet here. Initially, and it was kind of like almost... Um, I guess, scary in a way, but I would be afraid to be in the house by myself. I'd, you know, go back into my bedroom and lock the door because I'd be afraid, you know, I don't know. Not that I ever was that way before, is that someone would come in, you know, and uh, harm me in some way. So I think that my husband died suddenly Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Because I've not heard people that their husbands have chronic illnesses. And not that that's, I'm diminishing that loss any uh, more than mine or less than mine. But I've not heard that from those I- individuals. Yeah, I went to some counseling and they said that first year when it's that sudden is really shock. Mm-hmm. You're just in shock, which I think makes sense. Yeah. For yeah. me, it was sort of the opposite. I couldn't sleep in the bedroom. 
I had to be in the center of the house. I slept on the couch for months. Hmm. I had to have the TV on. And I had to wean myself off the couch back into the bedroom. It, hmm. just, it was too hard to go to bed without Paul. We always went to bed together. Yes, yeah. And for some reason, I felt like I can protect this house. I mean, I think we do have irrational thoughts for quite a while. Yes. I can protect the house if yeah, I'm in the yeah. middle of it on the couch. So yeah. that lasted a little too long, I think. But, you know, I just think it's, you don't know how you're going to respond. Yeah. And I do think people are different. And, you know, there are a lot of different factors that go into how people respond. And it was hmm, probably, let's see, you know, three years before I began to feel that some of the the fog had started to lift. And I guess for some people that would be really upsetting to hear. How about uh, removal of wedding rings? Mm-hmm. I think everyone's going to have a different answer. I was just wondering what you thought about that and what yeah. your, how your decision went into that. Well, actually, it was kind of uh, strange how that all happened with me. Now, I'm talking sometime in that first three years, maybe in the the second year or something. Of course, I had not been eating very well, even though I've had, you know, people bringing food. I just didn't feel like eating. I was not sleeping well, so that had to be addressed. But uh, I was sitting at the table and I had lost weight and so forth, and I just put my hands down, and I was still wearing my wedding ring, but it slipped right off my hand, my finger, and landed on the table, and I was, like, terrified or something. I quickly put it back on my finger. So I wore my wedding band for several years, and it's just, I know people today that you know, their husband has been deceased for decades. They still wear their wedding ring. Uh, it's just, and it's one of those uh, questions with the answer. It depends on the person. Exactly. Know? I was mm-hmm. just wondering your your oh, yeah. experience because I think it's different for everybody. I think it's something other people care about, though. I mean, I I took my wedding ring off uh, fairly soon because it made again. I guess I I realized how angry I was, but it made me angry that I would look at my wedding ring and mm. Paul wasn't going to be home, mm. and it made me distraught. So I took it off. I had a specialist ceremony and put it in a little box. And I, for me, that felt better. I had people come up to me warning me that, you know, it looked like I was wanting to be dating or something. And so that surprised me that other people noticed, but apparently people noticed that thing. And I also wonder if some people maybe don't remove their ring, worried about what other people will think. So it's one reason I kind of wanted to talk about it and put it out there so other people that go through this see that everyone deals with it differently. What would you want to say to someone or what do you say to someone when when this happens? Like you find out that someone has lost their spouse. How do you go to help them and what do you think is an important thing to do? Well, I, I can, you know, answer that with an example. I was actually at a, a musical conference, and I became aware of a, a lady that had lost her, her husband had died. Actually, I think it m- might have been just several months ago, maybe less than six. I never even knew this woman. Someone had uh, said, said her name, and as she came into the area where the, there was going to be a, a session, 
after we had a break, you know, I just felt compelled to go over and tell her that I shared my empathy with her. And uh, we began to, she, she began to actually, I think, share some of her feelings about her husband's death. And we actually became pretty good friends. And it's risky to, to reach out because you don't know the other. In this case, I didn't know this person. I just felt like I, I needed to say something to her. So as far as uh, what do you say, I think maybe just making yourself available to that person. Um, again, this is risky, but, you know, sometimes you have to you know, kind of reach out and make that additional effort, whether it be a card or telephone call or text or however, and um, they may just not be receptive to you, and maybe they not at that time. They're not just not ready to have somebody else kind of come into their space. That's That's been my experience, uh, is to be, be there, not only in just verbalizing, but physically, and maybe make it specific. You know, would you like to go to lunch next Tuesday? And if that doesn't work, maybe find a time when they can get together. And kind of letting them know you don't want to hover or overwhelm them, but you want to be sensitive to their needs. That was my conversation with my friend Marilyn. We continue to keep in touch. She is enjoying her retirement and spends lots of time on the bike trails, traveling, and enjoying family and friends. I'm Patty G, and you've been listening to This Is Gonna Hurt, Widows Mentoring Widows. Join me in two weeks when I'll talk to Larissa, my sister-in-law, who found herself a single mom of 11-year-old twins when her husband died suddenly of a heart attack. I think every decision that you make is sort of about what helps you come to peace with what happened. You can subscribe to This Is Gonna Hurt on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And you can send feedback, ask questions, or share your own story by emailing thisisgonnahurt1 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.